of our current series, Easter Eggs, Traces of Jesus Across Time. You see, Easter eggs are those classic things that kids look for during Easter. It's also a good message or images in movies and video games that references something important. Sometimes it references something just silly, but in today's series, it's something that's important. Specifically, with Easter eggs, we're talking about these Easter eggs in the Old Testament, these prophecies that point to Jesus, that point and uncover God's plan in rescuing all of creation and humanity from the very beginning of creation. And Pastor Greg talked a little about that last week in Genesis chapter 3. Now today's Easter egg is probably the biggest Old Testament prophecy that references Jesus and points to God's saving plan. It also predicts the first Easter seven to eight hundred years even before it happened. That's how big it is. So there's already an anticipation, there's already an awaiting plan. There's going to be a savior. There's going to be a savior who's going to save us all. As that was predicted, that was prophesied by the day, seven to eight hundred years before it happened. It is such an essential prophecy that it might not even be a niche yet. It kind of reminds me of Star Wars. If anyone knows anything about Star Wars, we all know that Anakin Skywalker turns into Dark Vader. Regardless if you love Star Wars, or your friend loves Star Wars, or you just hear about Star Wars, we know that that is the epitome, that is the center of the story of Star Wars. And so, in order to understand the prequels and the original stories, and then the stories that follow, you have to understand that Anakin Skywalker, who was promised to be the chosen one, to bring down to the Force, he defies all and turns to Darth Vader. Now it reminds me of a story. A couple years ago, I was talking to my cousin, who's 20 years younger than I am, and we connected about Star Wars. And he shared with me his favorite television show was Clone Wars, the animated Clone Wars that showed on one of the uh, Disney um, channels, now it's on Disney Plus. Uh, and so he's like, I love Anakin Skywalker. And I'm like, oh, that's awesome. <laughs> what do you think about how they portrayed him when he turned into Darth Vader in Revenge of the Sith. I glance at his face, and he can be as pale as a ghost. I killed his childhood. <laughs> he became an adult at 13 years old. He didn't know that Anakin Skywalker turned into Darth Vader. I felt so bad. In similar ways, the prophecy, the Easter egg that we're looking at today, that we're looking at today, is of that magnitude, if not more. It's so crucial for us to understand the Easter egg, the prophecy, because if we miss out, we miss out on who Jesus is. And to this day, thousands and thousands and thousands of years past when past Easter. There are still some who think that there is a Messiah to come, that Jesus has not come yet, that the Savior has not come yet. And so let's dive right into this prophecy and take a look at how essential it is and understanding how it points to Jesus and how it points to God's plan of rescuing humanity. So the video that I played earlier was the prophecy found in Isaiah chapter 53. And so I'm going to read it for us. This is what Isaiah chapter 53 says, and I'll read verse two, verses 
two through six. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised, and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Now let me give you a little context to better understand what's happening in this passage of this prophecy. So there's a prophet named Isaiah, and he lived in a day where God's chosen people turned away from God. They rebelled from God. They were evil. They believed in other gods. They believed in gods that neighbored their countries. They, they disobeyed God, God's command. Now they still maintained some of the ceremonies and some of the rituals that God had established with them. But again, they were filled with evil. They oppressed the poor, the orphan, the widows. And these, these ceremonies, these rituals that they were performing, they did it because it was just the thing to do. We've been doing this for thousands of years. We've been doing this for hundreds of years. Oh, my dad did this. My grandma did this. My grand great grandfather did this. And so they continued to do these rituals that God had asked them to do, but they did it not knowing what they were doing. And as a result, Isaiah prophesied that God would bring judgment on them. Isaiah warned the leaders, the corrupt leaders, that they would be overtaken by empires if they continued to rebel against God, if they continued to idolize other gods, if they continued to oppress their own people. So judgment was a part of the prophecy. But ironically, Isaiah also prophesied that there would be hope. So God's people, you will be judged. In God's people, there is also hope after you are judged. You see, after God's people faced judgment, God would establish his kingdom. That was the hope that he, that he prophesied, as they prophesied, that God would establish his kingdom through a savior who would squash out evil among the people, among the land, and be able to bridge that relationship between God and, and the people. Because that relationship was broken and had been broken all the way back at creation when Adam disobeyed God. This hope was to bring harmony between each other so that they could be in relationship with each other again. Now, if we take a look at the description, if we go back to the verse and look at it closely, we believe that these descriptions that Isaiah wrote again, seven to eight hundred years, even before Jesus was on earth, before Easter happened, the very first Easter happened, we believe that these descriptions are about Jesus, that the Savior was Jesus. And so here God shows up to, the, to Isaiah, to the people of Isaiah's time, and drops this huge Easter egg and prophesies that again, there's judgment and there's hope. Now, while we know Jesus for his mass feedings, he fed 4,000 men, he fed 5,000 men, they had a huge fish fry. We know that Jesus performed miracles, he healed the Let's take a look at how, Jesus, how Isaiah describes the Savior, how he describes Jesus. 
Isaiah describes Jesus as a man of sorrows. Of all the things that Isaiah describes him as, Jesus is described as a man of sorrows. In verse 3, it clearly says that, that Jesus is a man of suffering, familiar with pain. And part of the pain, the suffering that Jesus was to feel, that Jesus felt, involved humanity despising and rejecting him. Now if we fast forward to when Jesus was on earth, Jesus had his disciples, Jesus had his followers who loved and adored him and obeyed him. But there were many who despised him and rejected him. At the very beginning of his ministry, in Luke chapter 4, in his very own hometown, in Jesus' very own hometown, he goes to the synagogue, synagogue reads scripture and he proclaims that he's here to save the world. And what does his hometown synagogue do? They take him to the cliff. One to throw him off the cliff. That is rejection. That is being despised. Isaiah then proceeds to describe more about Jesus, is, as, a, as a man of suffering, in his next few words, he describes the Savior, Jesus, as someone who takes up our pain and bores our suffering. Now, this might not mean a whole lot, but if we continue to verse 5, um, well, if we continue to verse 4, it says, We consider him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. And it makes a little more sense in verse 5, because this is what Isaiah says. He refers to the Savior, versus Jesus, as being pierced for our transgression and crushed for our iniquities. This language is referring to the crucifixion. You see, when Jesus was on that cross, he was pierced by nails. And when Jesus died, to be sure of his death, the soldiers took a spear and stuck it in his side, and water and blood ran out. And that was the sign that Jesus was dead. And so he was pierced suffering for He was crushed for our iniquities. The sense of crushing that he was beaten. And we know that the trial wouldn't have been his crucifixion, but his crucifixion was filled with Jesus being beat, merciless. Now in verse 4, Isaiah prophesies that the people thought Jesus would be crucified because it was his fault. Jesus must have done something to be crucified. But as the prophecy unfolds, as we understand, as we fast forward to when Jesus was alive on Easter, we realize that Jesus was innocent and that he was crucified not because of his fault, not because of his sins, not because of his transgressions and our iniquities, but he was crucified for our transgressions. He was crucified for our iniquities. Jesus was punished for our iniquities. Jesus suffered our sins. And as a result of the punishment he experienced, that brought peace to brought peace to us. And Isaiah says, by his wounds we are healed. And that is an incredible, powerful statement. So let me sit there for a while. Let me sit there for just a little bit and, and talk more about this. That through his punishment, through Jesus' experiences, experiencing our punishment, he brought us peace. And by his wounds we are healed. It 
feels like a big transaction happened here. It reminds me of the first time I bought my own car with my own money. And I sat there, and the car dealer sat across from the desk. And he's like, you know, APR rates are this, you're paying this in five months, we checked your credit score, there's like signature after signature after signature after signature, like you promise to pay, you don't promise to pay, we're gonna come after you. And I was scared, I was like, oh man, I need to back it up. It feels like a big transaction's happening right here, that Jesus takes our punishment, and we receive his peace, we receive healing. might not be clear to us right away, it might not make sense, but the, the, the people who read Isaiah, I think they understood it right away. You see, during Isaiah's time and before Isaiah's time, a common practice among God's people were animal sacrifices. And we know that at creation, after Adam and Eve were created, they, they felt a sin, they disobeyed God. And so there was evil. God is holy, humans are evil. And God's holiness does not allow him to be human. But because he loves humans, he wants to be with humans. And so he established this practice of animal sacrifices that symbolically portrayed humans becoming holy in a sense, becoming clean in a sense. And so what they would do is they would take an animal, they would have a priest symbolically take the sins of the people, the evilness of the people, and then the priest would take symbolically those, those sins and those evils, place it on the animal by touching the animal. And there's this idea that all the sins of the people were transferred to the animal. And then the priest would take that animal and slaughter it, would sacrifice it. As an illustration to symbolically represent what needed to happen in order for God and humans to be with each other. And so I truly believe that when the people uh, of Isaiah's time with his prophecy heard that, they realized, wait, the Savior is going to be a substitute for us on our behalf? The sin, the evil that we experience, the sin and the evil that we that we that we do unto others, the things that I do, the things that I'm guilty for, the things that I'm shamed for, someone else is going to take that on. They're going to die for that? That's going to make me right with God? Yes. That's what God did. So with the Savior being a substitute for us, similar to how animals are sacrificed, Jesus experienced the pain. Jesus experienced the, 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 the suffering. And then we experience the peace and the healing that comes from Peace is a word that we throw around so often. Salutation. When we see each other, it might be peace. When we meet each other, it might be peace. When there's war, it might be peace. When we take pictures, we might go up a peace sign. Peace to, the, to, to God's people, to God, was a greater symbol. It was, this Israel, it was this word in Hebrew called shalom. It's this idea of being complete. It's this idea of the complete and whole experience of being in harmony where there's mutual and permanent connection with God and with others. Imagine the best relationship that you have. And imagine the person that you have that relationship with. 
of trying to do that best relationship that you have and changing it with the person that you probably don't have the best relationship with. Shalom, in a sense, is that we can be right with the experience, complete and full harmony with those people because of Christ is and then healing refers to this idea of being healed from our evil nature that separates us from God. We are healed in the sense that we are forgiven and saved so that we can be in the right relationship, in relationship with God. Now, some scholars argue that healing might pertain to being healed physically. And while I do believe that, I believe that, that healing pertains to, to being healed you know, physically, mentally, spiritually, emotionally, but the, the root of all, the root of all, of all why we get hurt, why we get hurt physically, emotionally, spiritually, mentally, why others hurt us, why we hurt others in those ways, comes from sin, comes from that brokenness, comes from the very thing that Jesus did on the cross, to substitute that pain, so that we can receive healing. And so yes, it means physical, mental, emotional, spiritual healing, but the first healing that we are healed from from the root of the world, so that we can experience all those things. And then lastly, in verse 6, as a way to remind us of this peace and healing we receive did not come from us. Isaiah describes as a sheep who go their own way and do their own things. Isaiah describes as a sheep. Sheep bear no responsibilities for what they do. They kind of want to do their own thing. That's why Jesus is our shepherd. And in that very no responsibility, we fall into it. We do it. We rebel. However, Jesus bears it all. And Isaiah says, He takes up the iniquity of us all. Of us all. So, whatever guilt, whatever sin, whatever struggle you're struggling with, all of those iniquities. You see, Isaiah 53 is the story of Easter in the Old Testament. Easter was already prophesied even before it happened. It was already in the Old Testament. Isaiah 53 is God's plan for rescuing us 700, 800 years before it happened. And if there's anything I want you to take away about Isaiah 53, it's this. Jesus experienced our suffering so we experience his healing. Let me say that again. Jesus experienced our suffering. So we can experience his healing. So what does that mean for you and I? What does it mean that Jesus suffers so we can experience his healing? Not two things for us. First thing is two parts. See, when Jesus died on the cross, he eliminated all of the animal worship. Because there was a point where it didn't mean a whole lot. It didn't mean anything. Instead of animal sacrifice, he just gave us new rituals to practice. And those two things are baptism and communion. I'm so glad that Pastor Greg talked about baptism. Because when we baptize, the first step that we need to take before getting baptized is to believe that Jesus is our personal Savior. And when we get baptized, it is our declaration, it is our proclamation that we believe Jesus died for us and 
heal us. And even the illustration of immersion, being immersed, being dunked in the water, is this illustration where it's being taken down to the grave, symbolically tied to Jesus being taken down to the grave, and then being raised back up. And so baptism is a very practical way to apply Isaiah 53 to all of our lives. And so if you haven't been baptized, if you're on the fence about being baptized, being baptized, if you feel like you'd be perfect in order to be baptized, if anything is holding you back from being baptized, I want you to reconsider. And then you believe that Jesus is your Savior, Jesus died for you. Baptism is a proclamation of this prophecy that Isaiah gave to the people thousands and thousands and thousands of years in Jerusalem. And so baptism is a way that we can live out how Jesus takes our sin, takes our transgression, how Jesus suffers, and we experience healing. That's one way. The second ritual is communion. Communion is something that we do on a regular basis. Sometimes it's by weekends and Sundays Communion is when we eat the bread and drink the wine. And we do this in remembrance, in remembrance of what Jesus did on the cross. Now, growing up, before I was able to take communion, I was always jealous of communion drinks. Because I wanted to eat that bread and wine with that juice. It was more of a snack. I was extremely jealous when the bread was the wine came there. <laughs> but communion is a celebration that reminds us that Jesus died for us. And his body was broken for us. His body was Blood, blood that was shed for us, forgive us of our sins. The baptism and communion, great ways to celebrate our resurrection. Second, how can we live out, what does Isaiah 53 mean to us on a day-to-day basis? Jesus lets us know that we're going to experience suffering. And we're going to experience persecution. And so the same way that Jesus suffered as believers, as Christians, there's an expectation that we too are going to suffer. We too are going to feel what Jesus felt. Maybe not to the capacity of what we experience on the cross, but we're going to feel that. And sometimes we think suffering is a pride that ends on itself, but throughout the Bible, Jesus, the disciples, the people who wrote the New Testament, reminds us that suffering is a part of our spirituality. And that suffering reminds us that at the end of it all, it's not in vain. That there's a promise that there's healing, that there's hope. And it's worth it. And so in your everyday life, with your struggles, however small, however big, it's a reminder to us that Isaiah 53 is true. Isaiah 53 happened. That Easter is real. And that Jesus is real. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for the prophecy of Isaiah. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years before Easter happened, before Jesus 
came onto earth as, as a human, that Isaiah already prophesied that this would happen. And that in Jesus' suffering, the suffering that he experienced, we would receive healing. And so God, whatever we're going through, whatever suffering we're experiencing, it's physical, mental, emotional whatever suffering we're experiencing, may we be reminded that you suffered for us, and in your suffering for us, we are healed. We receive peace. And that's something that we can be reminded day in, day out, as we go through our own sufferings, and how the day are Thank you for this Easter that we drop in the beauty that Jesus wasn't a second or a third plan, it wasn't plan A, plan B, plan C, plan D, but from the beginning, it was your plan all along. To demonstrate your glory and your love to us in such an amazing way. So we thank you. We give you praise and glory for all that you do. Celebrate Palm Sunday in anticipation of celebrating your resurrection next week. So we thank you and we pray that this all be.